I am Pastor Corrine Boroff, Senior Pastor at Anderson First United Methodist Church. Thank you for listening to our worship service today. If you want to learn more about this church, visit our website at andersonfirst.org. Have a blessed day and enjoy the message. Our scripture this morning is found in the book of Acts, chapter 11, beginning with the first verse. The news traveled fast, and in no time the leaders and friends back in Jerusalem heard about it, heard that the non-Jewish outsiders were now in. When Peter got back to Jerusalem, some of his old associates, concerned about circumcision, called him on the carpet. What do you think you're doing rubbing shoulders with that crowd? eating what is prohibited and ruining our good name. So Peter, starting from the beginning, laid it out for them step by step. Recently, I was in the town of Joppa praying. I fell into a trance and saw a vision, something like a huge blanket lowered by ropes at its four corners came down out of heaven and settled on the ground in front of me Milling around on the blanket were farm animals, wild animals, reptiles, birds, you name it. It was there. Fascinated, I took it all in. Then I heard a voice. Go to it, Peter. Kill and eat. I said, oh no, master. I've never so much as tasted food that wasn't kosher. The voice spoke again. If God says it's okay, it's okay. This happened three times, and then the blanket was pulled back up into the sky. Just then, three men showed up at the house where I was staying, sent from Caesarea to get me. The Spirit told me to go with them, no questions asked. So I went with them. I and six friends to the man who had sent for me, He told us how he had seen an angel right in his own house, real as his next-door neighbor, saying, send to Joppa and get Simon, the one they call Peter. He'll tell you something that will save your life. In fact, you and everyone you care for. So I started in talking. Before I'd spoken half a dozen sentences, the Holy Spirit fell on them just like it did on us the first time. I remembered Jesus' words. John baptized with water. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So I ask you, if God gave the same exact gift to them as to us when we believed in the Master, Jesus Christ, how could I object to God? Hearing it all laid out like that, they quieted down. And then, as it sank in, they started praising God. It's really happened. God has broken through to the other nations, opened them up to life. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
I have led many, many different groups and had many, many different icebreakers, and there's an icebreaker that I wanted to use this morning. And the question is, if you were to move to the moon, what would you take? Think about that. Move to the moon, what would you take? Just one thing. Just one thing that you would get to take with you because obviously a trip to the moon can't take a whole lot of luggage with you. So you get to take one thing. If you were to move to the moon, what one thing would you take? And moving implies that you're not really coming back, right? I asked this once in a youth group and they said a return ticket. <laughs> If you could take just one thing, I'm going to ask you to say that out loud in just a moment, so think of something. In fact, if you just had the, the spaceship is just about to launch, you've got 15 seconds to think of the one thing that you're going to take, and you're going to grab it with you. Now, we're not a congregation that's used to saying things out loud. We, we say prayers in unison, but from our pews, we just don't say things out loud. So I'm going to have you practice. On the count of three, I want all of you to say in a loud spoken voice, amen. Okay? One, two, three. Amen. All right. Perfect. I want you to use the same volume when you say your one thing you're going to take. Ready? On three. One, two, three. I love it. I heard some of those things. Excellent. I heard a dog. <laughs> Dog's going to go to the moon. <laughs> when I did this, when I was first asked to come up with something like this, it was if your house caught on fire and you could only grab one thing, what would it be? Well, folks, there are people in California recently who had 15 minutes, maybe 15 seconds to grab what they could to salvage from the fire before they had to leave and be engulfed. And some of the people took, for instance, a musician took her violin. Another, a golfer, took golf clubs. And they know these things because people went to the, the locations where these people gathered for shelter and could see the things that were grabbed. Some went more practical. They took toiletries, they grabbed some clothes. Other people took their memorabilia, like family pictures. Some people took their, um, one mother particularly took diapers and wipes and clothes for her baby and absolutely nothing for herself. Another woman, an 82-year-old, grabbed her walker and her hairbrush. <laughs> Those were the things that she grabbed. And another, there was a 57-year-old man named Michael who refused to grab anything. In fact, he just decided he was going to stay. If he couldn't get his truck out through the flames. He wasn't going anywhere. And the neighbors begged him in the short time that they had before they had to leave to just come with them. Michael died in the fire because he would not leave his truck. 
You see, sometimes these kind of situations help us sort out in just an instant what's important to us. And sometimes we realize that we are not at all focused on what ought to be the most important. We lose focus. There is a study that took place. The research came out in June of 2018. And that research was about something called a quiet eye. And the study said that they made a study of elite athletes, those that are just the highest in their particular um, sport, the ones that excel the most, to discover those different things that they find in these athletes that make them so excellent in what they do. And one of those things was something called a quiet eye meaning that they have the ability to focus on what is the most important thing in that moment. There was another a researcher who actually hooked up a device to golfers, the golfers that excelled. And she did this research. She took a look at the different golfers and the, the mechanism that she attached to them would actually record their eye movements to see if indeed this fit with them. And sure enough, the best golfers, keep this in mind, folks, those of you that golf, the best golfers had the least amount of eye movement. In other words, they kept their eye on the ball. Have you heard that before? They kept their eye on the ball. In other words, they had themselves focused on what was most important in the moment. And their eye did not move from the ball from the time before they struck it until all the way through the stroke. And so, you see, there is some things that help us. We are told that keeping the main thing, the important focus in life, is important. It, it has bears results for us. So as Christians... As us gathered here this morning, what's important? If we're supposed to stay focused, what's important for us to focus on? Well, I'd like to look at our scripture this morning. This passage from the book of Acts. Acts, if you read in your Bible the front page of the, the book of Acts, it says usually the Acts of the Apostles is the real title of the book. And I would like to propose that really it's the acts of the Holy Spirit. The acts of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of people. We heard the activity of the Holy Spirit in our scripture this morning. And Acts is a book that was written by Luke, our gospel writer of Luke, who happens to be my favorite author of scripture he was not a Jewish follower. 
He was a Gentile. He was a Gentile doctor. He is the one that writes the book of Acts and gives us this story. And you may understand why it's so significant to Luke. You see, in our story, we have Peter. Now, Peter is the apostle that followed Jesus Christ, and he was designated the rock. He was the one that Jesus was going to build his church on. And in this passage in Acts 11, we have Jesus, or Peter, who is in a crisis of faith. The rock's kind of wobbly right here. And Peter has had an experience with God that he just has real difficulty trying to understand what's going on. He's really, really struggling because it goes against everything that he has learned in the Bible. And the Bible didn't really exist. The Old Testament scriptures, the Old Testament scrolls, everything that he had learned there about how to treat other people, how to live according to the way God wanted them to live. There were certain foods that they could eat. There were certain people they could interact with. And this went against it all. In fact, Peter argued with God. And God said, laid out in this vision, all of these animals, and Peter could have any of them to eat. Peter says, no way, God. They're not kosher. They're not what we're supposed to eat. I know because I've studied the Bible, God. I've studied Scripture. I know what's supposed to be going on. And God says, I'm God. This is what you're supposed to do. And this went back and forth. We are told three times the conversation happened. And then the vision was over. And you see, Peter then did. He responded to what God had called him to do because when he was called to Cornelius, when he was called to a Gentile family, he went. And not only did he go, but he ate with them. Now, folks, we, you know, we might have, be a picky eater. But these people were eating a certain way because they understood that that was what God wanted them to do. That's how they stayed in a close relationship with God because that's what they understood they had to do. It wasn't anything about being a picky eater. And yet God had given permission to eat with the Gentiles, to eat what they ate, fellowship with them on their terms. And in doing so, they received the Holy Spirit. 
the Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit. Well, you can imagine. I mean, nobody in Israel was ever running around alone. And people watched what had happened. And news got back to Jerusalem. Now, these are the other disciples of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem at the temple. And they're really ticked off with Peter. I mean, he had gone against everything that they understood they were supposed to do. They had gone against Scripture. Peter had gone against fellowship with the Gentiles. He had gone against their dietary laws. He was going to ruin the reputation of the church. And Peter, in not quite understanding it either, said, well... Let me explain step by step what happened. And you see, they begin to understand. The focus is not on rules. The focus God opened to them is God, God's grace. God's grace for all. Well, you can kind of sit there and think, you know, that's really good. Because now Gentiles were included, right? And of course we have this gospel writer, this author of this book, Luke, who is a Gentile, celebrating this event. And you see, the church was in a time of transition from that point on. Peter's ministry began to kind of evolve away from the main focus. He was still in ministry, but we don't hear about Peter after Acts chapter 15 anymore. Instead, his contemporary Paul, who had that conversion experience with Jesus Christ, who didn't walk with Christ while he was alive, in fact, he persecuted the Christians that did, had that transforming experience. He wrote 13 letters which are included in our Bible. And those letters, Paul works around this idea of being unified, of the church becoming not just Jewish, but for all people. For the Jews and the Gentiles of that time. And he concluded for us, if you read through Paul's letter, a conclusion that he comes to is that unity is not that we all agree about everything. The Jewish Christians still practice their Jewish traditions. They just believed that Jesus Christ was truly the Son of God. The Gentile Christians did not. And he said, that's not what unity means. We don't all have to be on that same page. Unity means that we all desire God's grace the same. The love of Jesus Christ the same. That's our focus. That's what's important. And you see, today, we wrestle with those same things. It's not done. We can think, ah, oh, biblical times, you know, 
Peter opened it up, this vision. Now everybody's included and can receive the grace of God. It's done. It's a nice story. It's a great historical fact. But it's not done. Today, we still struggle in the same way as individuals and churches to be inclusive, to offer that gift of God's grace to everyone. We still struggle. It's something that takes a long time. And you see, Jesus taught it. The story of the Good Samaritan, how the kingdom of God is going to be like that. The devout Jews wouldn't touch him. Wouldn't touch the man that had been beaten up and and robbed and left for dead. That went against Jewish law. Couldn't do it. Couldn't touch him. You see, the Jews at that time defined holiness as being separated from the sinner. Physically separated from sinners. And throughout this time of transition, holiness was redefined to be like God in offering God's grace, not separating ourselves from others. We have the same fears that they had. You heard the fears of the apostles. You know, you're going to ruin the reputation of the church. You're not following what is written in Scripture. It's kind of ironic to not follow what's written in Scripture and instead listen to the author of the Scripture, which is what Peter did. We struggle with the same fears. If we open up the church, if we open God's grace to everyone, we might have to interact with them, with the others who come to us, seeking to know Jesus Christ. We might have to sit next to them in the pew. We might have to share a meal with them. Same fears. And you see, it wasn't just the deal about food. One of the biggest objections the apostles had, one of the major objections that that Peter dealt with and wrestled with was the fact of fellowshipping with those who were considered sinners. Those who were different than they are. And you see, we are called to focus on the main thing, on the grace of God. And when we do that, it changes everything. But how important is it? I mean, we can live our lives, we can make our choices, we don't have to just think about God all the time, right? I mean, we can go along throughout life and do just fine. I know people who are not even a part of Christianity who seem to be just happy and getting along great, right? This is why it's important. 
you may have noticed the mess up here. <laughs> I've got rope everywhere. It's all across the altar. It's all across the floor. And it goes off into sights unseen. <laughs> and all of this rope, what I have up here is 300 feet of rope coiled around. And at the very tip, not sure you can see it, but maybe you can see it on the picture up out there, the very tip is painted red. The very tip of the rope. Folks, that's your life. The red tip is your life. The red tip is my life. The red tip is our lives and all the decisions that we are supposed to make. All of those things that we decide in life and the way that we decide to treat other people, the way that we decide to interact, all of that is in this red tip. The rest of the rope, on and on and on and on, and you cannot see the other end of it, is eternity. Folks, that's why your decisions matter. That's why... Staying focused on what is the most important thing in your life. Staying focused on the grace of God. Receiving it and sharing it. Why that should inform all the other decisions that you make in your life. Individually, as a church, as any kind of group. That's what informs your eternity as well. So I invite you to think about the decisions that you make and to stay focused, to keep your eye on what is most important in this life and the next, and that is the grace of God for all. Amen.